Season 2 of Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and expertise to help your business from desktop to data center. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. To learn more about Valcom's end-to-end -end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and to sign up for upcoming events, visit their website at vlcmtech.com. That's vlcmtech.com. Cyber 24 is supported by the Utah Department of Public Safety, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. In addition, the University of Utah's Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute is where we record this podcast each week. At the Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute, they're dedicated to helping Utah make informed decisions. We're also proud to have the support of Secuvant, a Utah-based company providing business-enabled cyber risk and management. Every week on this program, these great partners will provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. We appreciate your support. And welcome in, everyone, to Cyber 24. I'm your host, Marty Carpenter. Cyber 24, of course, is always presented by our friends at Valcom. Uh, thanks so much for being here. We've got a great show on tap for you. First, want to just make a mention about last week's episode. Uh, the topic last week, the importance of security awareness training. This idea that we've hit over and over again, that your organization, your company, uh, your municipality, whatever group you're dealing with, you are only as strong as your weakest link. Uh, our, our guest was Dan Schuyler from Valcom. He's a cybersecurity systems architect. It was a great, first of all, it's a great title, cybersecurity systems architect. That sounds just, that's a, that's a, that's a business card to have right there. But a great discussion. want you to go back and check that out in case you missed it. Really a good discussion about the importance of security awareness training and the ways that experts are doing this with companies to help you train your employees. So those who have access to this information or can be that opening in the fence, that vulnerability in the protections for your company speaking in a cybersecurity tense, uh, that you can help make sure your weakest link is actually pretty strong. And there are a lot of really inventive ways that they go about doing this. So go back and check that out. That's episode 32. You can find that uh, wherever you found this podcast, of course, or you can find it on our website at cyber24.us. Another thing I want to make mention of before we jump into this week's show, uh, we have a, a, a cool thing we're going to do this year that we did last year. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to host a panel discussion with some of the top cybersecurity experts in our state. We get people in our studio. And we get to do this sort of one-on-one, -on -one, more in-depth discussions. Uh, we did this, though, last year, a panel uh, discussion from an event we did with Valcom. Some uh, some of the top cybersecurity minds and people who see this up close 
and can really give us some insight on what businesses and uh, government entities are facing and some of those important decisions that leaders in those organizations have to make and how the IT folks and the cybersecurity folks in those organizations can help uh, CEOs better understand the challenges that they face. Anyway, discussion that we rolled out last season over a couple of episodes of the podcast. Um, we'll probably do the same this year. Our discussion should last, um, you know, forty-five minutes or an hour. So we'll break it up into a couple of episodes, so you can still uh, listen to this show on your drive into work, drive home from work, whatever that may be, uh, and get that insight. So look for that coming up probably uh, two or three weeks down the road from now. Okay, today's show. Look, at, I want to look at some of the cybersecurity stories that you may have missed but shouldn't have. We did this not much in season one, but earlier in the season this year, uh, we did this, I think, once or twice where we just said, hey, instead of bringing somebody in to talk to us and sort of break down an issue, let's walk through some of the big cybersecurity stories uh, that you may have missed but shouldn't have. And there are a bunch. If you think about it, uh, when you watch the evening news, I don't know, do, do people do that anymore? Uh, if, if you have sort of a mainstream media flow of stories, it's a lot of politics, uh, it's it's probably too much politics, and we, we sort of miss some of the other things. But think of the cybersecurity type of stories that have risen to that level of media coverage. And most recently, that would be like the Facebook uh, Facebook uh, compromise that, that we had a couple weeks back. Um, you know, it's always very little content, right? It's sort of it flashes the name of a big uh, a, a big company like Facebook. It flashes a big number of the number of people compromised. And then we're on to the next thing, right? Um, so this, there are a lot of stories, though, and, and I'm going to presume that a lot of listeners here are into cybersecurity, and maybe you catch more of these because they're in your newsfeed. But for much of our target audience, business leaders and um, elected officials who have to make decisions regarding cybersecurity issues, I think it's important that from time to time we stop and take a look at some of these stories so that they can... And get that insight that they're not missing these stories that help give us that frame of reference for just how big of an issue this is, how much more frequently these stories are popping up uh, that are important to us. So I picked a couple for today. We'll go over them in two segments, but uh, that, that's sort of the direction I, I want to take today. And I want to start with this story uh, written by uh, reporter Nick Miroff of the Washington Post. And the headline reads, Hacking Cyber attacks, now the biggest threat to U.S. Homeland Security chief warns. So the head of the Department of Homeland Security, and you'll remember, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old, but you'll remember the Department of Homeland Security was founded, was started under President George W. Bush uh, after 9-11 as a result of the 9-11 attacks to say we've got to get everybody on the same page so that we're not playing defense sort of uh, in, in silos that we're working together and that we're protecting the homeland. Um, so here, here's the lead of the story. Cyber weapons and sophisticated hacking pose a greater threat to the United States than the risk of physical attacks, Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nelson said Wednesday while urging state election officials to add more safeguards 
to their voting system. So we're going to get a little bit into the voting thing, and I know that's a lot on a lot of people's mind because if if you're listening to this in Utah, you've had your ballot in hand for at least a week, in some cases almost two weeks now. Uh, many of you have already voted. Election day is not really something that we, we do in Utah anymore. It's sort of the election month as we get our ballots, um, you know, three weeks or so ahead of the uh, day they actually have to be mailed in. So we'll get into to the election stuff in just a minute. But I thought that was just a remarkable statement and one that really should catch your attention right off the bat. Cyber weapons and sophisticated hacking pose a greater threat to the United States than the risk of physical attacks. Um, the article goes on to say, um, uh, and this is a quote from the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, I believe an attack of that magnitude, referring to 9-11, is now more likely to reach us online than on an airplane. Our digital lives are in danger like never before. This is the top Homeland Security official in the United States. And she ain't messing around with cybersecurity. Okay, She was a senior fellow at the George Washington University's Center for Cyber and Homeland Security. And she's worked as a private cybersecurity consultant. So she knows what she's talking about. She's not uh, just a, a general security expert, and then cyber is something that happens to be in her portfolio as well. She comes from a cybersecurity background, and I think that's important to understand because when she's saying, hey, the biggest threat is online, we should take that not only seriously regardless, but even perhaps more seriously because of her background. Uh She said in her speech, Today I'm calling on every state in the union to ensure that by the 2020 election they have redundant, auditable election systems. The best way to do that is to have a physical paper trail and effective audit so that Americans can be confident that no matter what, their vote is counted and counted correctly. Okay, as I mentioned, go back and listen to our other episodes on election security. We covered that, and in Utah, we're leading the way on this. this. This is something that Utah has had under control for a while. Now, a a word about the Department of Homeland Security. This is a big agency, as most federal agencies are, and the numbers are even somewhat staggering. Uh, $48 billion budget. For reference, the state of Utah has an annual budget of $18.1 billion, $18.2 billion. And with growth, that has jumped up from like, 15-ish million dollars, or 15 billion dollars, I should say, about five years ago, 15, 16 billion. So increasing, and Utah as an entire state runs on a budget of 18 point, you know, like 18, 18 billion and change. So this agency, DHS, $48 billion budget, more than 240,000 employees. For reference, again, just to market according to Utah, that's 100 times more employees. Uh, it's It's... I don't want to do the math. I'm going to just go ahead and say, you've caught me, I'm bad at math. Utah has about 24,000 employees. This has 240,000 employees, so it's about 100 times as many. Maybe it's 1,000 times. You do the math. Uh, (laughs) Look, if you came here for math instead of cybersecurity, then you found the wrong podcast. So go ahead and chuckle at my math, and and we'll move on. But big, big agency, okay? And shifting uh, her direction with this agency, uh, the, the department secretary is saying, uh, that they're taking on more of a count, uh, moving from a counterterrorism posture to a wider counter threat approach, um, with the idea that they're going to respond more nimbly to hackers and terrorists who are terror groups that are becoming increasingly digital savvy. Um, 
All right. She goes on to say, threats to the U.S. from foreign adversaries are on the highest level since the Cold War. Full-fledged operational agency on par with other major DHS agencies, such as the U.S. Customs and Border Protection and Transportation Security Administration. All this in an attempt to say the threat is evolving and we're going to evolve as well. Uh, the increase in risk from cyber attacks does not mean threats from other uh, what they would call what the article calls cruder physical sources have subsided. Um, in fact, Nielsen uh, warned that uh, U.S. aviation remains a major target for extremist groups, um, and of particular concern is the possibility that terrorists will attempt to use drones to attack U.S. cities and infrastructure. Um, she describes it, and, and uh, you know this is a term you would hear a lot as what keeps her up at night. Um, she also goes on to say that this kind of stuff isn't science fiction anymore. Nelson said that, uh, Secretary Nelson, I should say, said America's enemies um, in the real and virtual worlds want to disrupt our way of life. And I think that's important because digital life is becoming and has become so much a part of our life that disruption there is a real disruption. Think about the last time your, your Wi-Fi stopped working uh, or that you had to wait more than you know, about three seconds for something to load on your phone. Um, and how annoyed were you? Um, and that was a very minor disruption. So I, th I think she's driving to the right point in, here that they want to disrupt our way of life. And it's not just a matter of inconvenience. And she goes on to say, the pace of innovation, our hyperconnectivity, our digital dependence have opened cracks in our defenses, creating new opportunities and new vectors through which these nefarious actors can strike. The result is a world where Threats are more numerous, more widely distributed, highly networked, increasingly adaptive, and incredibly difficult to root out. All right. Well, that's kind of depressing stuff, but at least it's a challenge, right? We're saying we the, the first step to solving these problems, recognizing that they exist, and it's great to see that the United States government is saying, we see it, we're adapting to it, and we have to adapt to it to understand how to take it on. Uh, the, the secretary goes on to, to mention something she calls relentless resilience, that we have to be ready for this at all times. So uh, for those of you who listen to this podcast or who work in IT or cybersecurity, there you have it. You are now officially on the front lines. You defend your businesses. You defend your colleagues. You defend your customers and your clients. And to a large extent, you defend our communities. And you play an important role in this overall effort to prevent those who would want to do harm to our country. Because it's not just about attacking the United States. It's attacking the U.S. economy. And the U.S. economy is run through your individual businesses. And if you're a government official, it's run in your municipalities. So if there are cyber attacks that impact the way business is done, that's a problem for our country. It's a problem for our communities. And you folks are on the front line of that. And for that, I think you deserve not only a tip of the cap for the great work you do, but also that encouragement to keep at it and know that uh, what you do is, is so important. And for the business leaders who listen to this podcast or the public policymakers, those elected officials, I, I hope this helps you get the picture that uh, this is already a critically important issue and one that isn't going away and will be of greater and greater importance as time goes on. All right, we'll be back with more on the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. As the volume and complexity of endpoint attacks has continued to grow, security solutions have struggled to keep up the pace. The result? Much of today's security is reactive and slow, and that's not what you want to be. To combat this, Valcom security partner Sophos is equipped with Intercept X, 
a deep learning neural network that detects both known and unknown malware without relying on signatures. All right, so what does that mean? Simply put, Intercept X can stop the widest range of endpoint threats, equipping businesses with a predictive rather than a reactive approach to protecting against unknown threats. Stop attacks in their tracks with Valcom and Sophos. Learn more about Intercept X in Valcom's on-demand webinar at vlcmtech.com slash interceptx. That's vlcmtech.com slash interceptx. Secuvant is a leading network security company specializing in creative, customized solutions that meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. They offer a wide range of services, everything from managed security and virtual CISO consulting to cyber risk advisory and data breach recovery assistance. No matter what your specific security requirements are or what your comfort level is with IT in general, Secuvant will map your cybersecurity program to the business areas that are relevant to you. Everything from brand and reputation to legal liability to intellectual property to business disruption and so much more. For more information, call 1-855-SECUVANT or visit secuvant.com. That's S-E-C-U-V-A-N-T.com. $300 million. That's how much money the cyber breach at FedEx cost the company, all because they were not insured for cyber breach losses. So if you're a business owner of any size, you have to ask yourself, could my business survive a hit like that? I'm guessing the answer is no. The fact is, over half a million small to medium-sized businesses will close their doors as a result of a cyber event. So what should you do to protect your business? Talk to the cyber liability professionals at Hayes Companies. At Hayes Companies, policy placement is only one step in an overall risk management approach to manage your firm's cyber liability exposure. They design a program specifically for you customized to your business priorities. For more information, contact Dave Whitwer, 801-580-5501. That's 801-580-5501. Or visit hayescompanies.com. That's H-A-Y-S companies.com. All right, welcome back to the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. I'm Marty Carpenter. In our last segment, we talked a lot, uh, went a little bit long probably, but talked a lot about uh, this important issue, the, def- the, the Secretary for the Department of Homeland Security saying that cyber attacks are becoming an even bigger deal and a bigger worry than physical attacks and more likely to be uh, where we can be vulnerable. Uh, into this uh, second segment, we'll have a shorter story to, to kind of wrap things up today. Um, I, I do want to mention this. A couple of episodes ago, we spoke with Mark Mitchell, who's the director of election systems in the Utah Elections Office, and we talked and touched on elections a little bit in our previous segment. Um, election security has been a big topic since about 2015, and uh, and Mark Mitchell walked us through everything the state of Utah does to protect the integrity of our elections. And I think I mentioned this in the last segment that you can go back uh, to last season and find a similar discussion we had with Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is responsible for certifying elections in our state. Um, that back in season one conversation worth revisiting, especially if you're interested in election uh, security as uh, as we're all voting right now and as uh, the midterm election date uh, ticks ever closer. Uh, you know, what has received less attention, though, 
is a big project that is still just a few years away, but one that you're going to hear more and more about in the upcoming weeks, and one that is fundamentally critical to how elections are held in this state, and that could be a major, uh, uh, not only uh, in this state, but I, I should mention that there's this fundamental how elections are held all across the country, and that could be a major target for hackers. And when I say could be, uh, there are going to be people who are targeting this. Because one thing that is fundamental to our democracy, our uh, democratic republic, is understanding how many people there are. In order to send representatives to Congress in the House of Representatives, where it's based on population, we have to know how many people live in each district. And those districts are going to be remade after the 2020 census. You remember, it was only 10 years ago, 2010, uh, we did this. And if you're in Utah, you know we picked up a fourth congressional seat. We were a three-district state prior to the 2010 census and then the redistricting effort that followed that. So we'll have to do that again. We took a seat away. I think it was North Carolina, if I remember correctly. North Carolina lost a seat and we picked up a seat. House of Representatives capped at 435, and then we just move them around. Now, Utah's been growing, probably not enough to pick up another seat, um, but this this is something we have to do based on the United States Constitution. Every 10 years, we go around and count how many people are in the country and where they live, and then we divide up the ability to vote and the representation based on that. If you remember, and I, I can remember actually the last two times we've done this in, in uh, uh, the year 2000 and the year 2010, and uh, again, we'll do it here in 2020, uh, it's a big project, but it, it primarily involves, at a fundamental level, in the past it has involved people going door-to-door and finding out who lives in a household, how many people are there, some demographic information, and so on and so forth, so we have an idea of how many people actually live in the United States. That brings me to this story we want to get to in this, our final segment of the day. Uh, this from TechCrunch, written by Zach Whitaker. Watchdog says 2020 census systems are riddled with security flaws. Now, clearly, we haven't done this since 2010. We haven't done this since 2010. So think back. Try to think back to what technology was like in 2010. Um, you know, we had iPhones, uh, but they weren't, uh, they were like 3G iPhones. And uh, social media was sort of still in the early adoption stages or, you know, certainly you would say, oh, your grandparents weren't on Facebook yet in 2010. That took a little while. So the story, let's just go to the lead of the story. With the census just two years away, the Census Bureau has a cybersecurity problem. First of all, as a writer, tip of the cap to Zach Whitaker. That's a great lead and pulls you in right away. Uh, It continues, that's a key takeaway from the Congressional Watchdog, the Government Accountability Office, which oversees the government's spending. In a new report, the nonpartisan agency said that the government's Census Bureau has only a few months to fix thousands of security vulnerabilities that may put personal citizen data at risk. This is, to some extent... um, And I guess it sort of depends on how you think about it. But this is a large data collection operation. And it sounds like we've taken steps to do this in a more tech-savvy way, which only makes sense. Maybe it's surprising because it's the federal government taking steps to use technology in a way that can be helpful. Uh, But we're collecting a lot of data on people. And we're in an environment where people are somewhat anxious about what that means and what they're giving away when they actually give away data. And if there's any, while we're highly willing to give it to uh, Facebook or Google or whomever, uh, we there, there are a lot of people who are a little, very leery of 
giving it to the federal government. Um, so ahead of the 2020 census, the Bureau began testing all 44 key systems to support the new option. This is the article uh, of allowing citizens to send their responses over the Internet. Um, doing so, by the way, says it will save the government billions of dollars. Because I remember in 20, in the, in the year 2000, I believe it was, my, my own dad uh, was a census worker and went out and, and sort of canvassed uh, a designated area and collected, you know, filled out forms and had to turn them in and so on. So we're going to essentially say, hey, if you want to be a part of the census, go on and fill your information out online. I'm, I, I think I'll do that. I won't wait for someone to come. I want to be counted. Um, anyway, the, the, the article continues. The two-year test set to complete in April of 2019 has found close to 3,100 security issues and weaknesses, according to the report. In total, 43 security issues were classified as high or very high risk, which reflect cases where an unpatched system has a vulnerability for a known exploit, for example. Now, uh, of course, those numbers can seem big and patches can be done and we're going to have to continue to watch this. Um, that's That, however, tells us that there are... Uh, some issues with this that have to be worked out. Um, 33 of the 44 key systems have so far been authorized to operate in the 2020 census, but eight systems will need to be reauthorized after extensive changes were made. Three systems that are integral for census work are not yet authorized to operate. Um, And the report essentially says, hey, the clock's ticking and the Bureau's running out of time to get these issues fixed. Uh, the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, said the Census Bureau has implemented 61 of its 93 recommendations and has made initial progress on 32 recommendations. So something to keep your eye on in the coming, oh, let's say months and over the next uh, year to year and a half. With the census drawing closer, and by the way, this is going to be politicized and people are going to fight, and you've already maybe seen some of this in the news, people fighting over what kind of questions and what type of data are we asking people to provide as part of the census. Um, so I guess uh, my, my verdict on this one, at least, uh, good to see that the federal government is going to use technology and allow people to participate in this proactively. Um, and right now, I guess we'll hold off on giving a grade on how they're doing on security, but certainly there are some reasons to be concerned and a lot of work that needs to be done before this thing is uh, ready for prime time. All right, as we wrap up today's show, we want to thank our presenting partners at Valcom. You can find them online at vlcmtech.com. We also want to thank our supporting partners, University of Utah's Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute. That's where we recorded this show and where we do it each week. Our friends at Secuvant, not to mention our great partners at the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and the Utah Attorney General's Office. A reminder, you can find us online at cyber24.us or on Twitter at cyber24 underscore or on Facebook, just search cyber24. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. I'm Marty Carpenter.